Welcome to On The Block with Richard Stone. Richard is a 40-something construction company owner based in the UK. His passions are technology, business automation, customer experience, and helping other small business owners using his own valuable life and business experience. This podcast will be a mixture of solo spots, casual conversation, as well as inspirational key people of influence from their respective fields. Make yourself comfortable and enjoy listening. Here is your host, Richard Stone. So, good afternoon and welcome the one and only Alison Angel. What a privilege (laughs) to get to spend some time talking to you this afternoon. Tell us more about our listeners. What is it that makes you such a unique and special person? Is that the first question? Certainly is. My gosh. Well, we're all special and unique, Richard. We've all been created as masterpieces. I believe that. And so I'm still on a journey to discovering all my treasure that's on the outside and all my treasure that's actually on the inside too. And it's been a riveting 50-year journey so far. What an answer. Wow. And that was absolutely on the spot, completely unrehearsed. You know, what I would say, the one thing that I've been so looking forward to, because we met at Brandon Market in Mastermind a few years ago, didn't we? We were in the same we room. We did. And, um, I don't think we've been back in the same room since that day. Because if you remember, it went online, didn't it? And then there was all kinds of like merging stuff that went on and Progressive doesn't really now look the same as it did then. But we've mm-hmm. spent, we've had quite a lot of deep conversations in different clubhouse rooms and different mm-hmm. different WhatsApp groups. So I kind of almost feel, and on social media as well. True. And because you do, you put a lot of content out there, you do wear your heart on your sleeve, which I think is really, really admirable. And the thing I like about, the stuff you talk about and the way that you you put your content is that it isn't just that today's an amazing day. You're quite happy to talk about the, the days which are not so great. Mm. And that's what I find really fascinating because not everybody's prepared to do that. And that's really tough. Mm. But before I get into any questions, I just want to say what an amazing, wherever you are, you always have the most amazing backdrops. It's like, what room are you in today? I've got to ask. <laughs> This is my home office. Wow. This is um, the corner that was created for the pandemic, really. Um, The pandemic corner. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is probably my favourite corner because I can look out that way to the garden and I can look out that way to two rails of pre-loved clothes, which fills me with happiness always. Oh, wow. (laughs) Which brings me on nicely because that's your, your, your... Part of what you do, isn't it? It's part of what your value offering is to the world is actually helping people with their wardrobe. So talk to me about that yeah. business first. So this was a baby that was born in the pandemic. This business baby called Years of Style. And this came about because in my other company, my property business that I'd had for 16 years, as I know you were in this category as well, Richard, of being a small business owner, a limited company director, that we were completely overlooked in terms of financial support. 
that's the polite way of putting it. But what happened for me in my business is I kind of was the busiest that I've ever been because although our viewings and appointments were all kiboshed, um, there was still activity to do. There were still tenants with maintenance issues and, um, you know, stuff like that, rent payments, people going through hardships themselves, having to relay all that to, to my landlords. And so I, I found myself in a position where I came full circle, like back to how it was 16 years ago when I did everything myself at the very beginning. And I don't know, I just... Um, I kind of reached a nice spot in the business where I felt like after 16 years, and I'd already a few years prior sold part of the business on, and I was left with this remaining chunk. And I think the world just changed, didn't it, in 2020? Yeah, yeah, I came to a point where the circle was completed and the previous buyers that I dealt with had always kept lines of communication open because they, they'd always wanted the full thing from years ago. But I insisted on keeping this portion of it. Um, and they made another approach and it just felt right. It felt good. We negotiated a good settlement. And I thought, you know what? I don't even know what I'm going to do next. And that's a position I've never found myself brave enough to even suggest before but I felt like I just wanted to create space for something new but I didn't know what it would be mm. and within about a month of feeling completely <laughs> like there was a void because I, I've always worked I've always been busy I've always had a million and one things to do and for the first time ever I just had space to breathe and it was a little bit disorientating. I'm not going to lie. But after a few weeks, an idea started to come in my mind that ended up getting some traction to it and the opportunity to train as a, as a women's personal stylist came up with the London College of Style. And I've always been interested in that from being a teenager and I signed up for the training. It was all online. Um, I met other women. I was probably one of the oldest in the cohort. And um, from the moment the training started, I just thought, yes, I love all of this type of content because it was about women's confidence, body shape, silhouette, style, color, shapes, fabrics, everything that I've always loved from being... I don't know, 13, 14, 15. And so, yeah, I just felt like I was in a good place again, doing something that I could never have foreseen on the horizon if I hadn't have created that space. Mm. Well, so Years of Style was born, and where are we now? We're sort of coming up for 18 months. Um, it's, been, it's been hard, you know, building a new business. On the, back of the, as well. on the back of the pandemic, yeah. But I've been working with a new mentor recently and doing a lot of work on my ideal client because I always knew that I didn't just want to be a stylist. I wanted to be something almost 
very niche and specialist that people would seek me out as like the go-to person for. And working with her and going back on my own journey, I decided that I'd like to work predominantly with women who are either going through or recovering from divorce. Because that was my story 10 years ago. Um, There's nothing quite like a divorce. And I know you've been through this as well, Richard. There's nothing quite like a divorce to shatter. From a woman's perspective, and I'm sure for some guys as well, to shatter all illusions you had about yourself, all securities you had about your future, all confidence you had in what you thought was real and true. And it affects our identity to the core. So personal styling now is like one of the tools that I use to help women connect back in with themselves when they've gone through this horrible i still think divorce is a horrible legal process it's so cold and hard and brutal um and of course when the law changed earlier this year on no fault divorce and it was billed as this kind of like catch-all for you know this is going to remove all conflict we're sure because now you don't have to blame your partner for what's gone wrong you can just say that it's a a no fault divorce but i do think this it's um a bit of a fallacy because there's a reason why that marriage is broken down and unless the process is worked through from a woman's perspective from the emotional side of things then that can hamper you as you as you go through the divorce, you conclude the legal process. You can still, I speak to a lot of women who are still, they still haven't found their feet five, six, seven years on because I'm not surprised. the pain of it has not really been processed deeply. So that's my bag now, Richard. That's like what keeps me going, lights a fire in my belly, gets me excited because I know what the transformation opportunity is. Because I've lived it, and I'm yeah, a walking, talking example of <laughs> a walking, talking case study all for yourself. Yeah. So you mentioned there that you've got a new mentor, and so from that, obviously, and because obviously we know one another, you've had mentors before. What do you mm. think is different about the person that you're working with now? Well, the person that I'm working with now, a has been a bigger investment for me to make from the outset. She in herself is a niche coach. So she works only with personal stylists who want to grow their business. Wow, that's super niche. Whereas my my coach before that, the one that I worked with for a long time, was um, more of a general business coach for women. Right. So the power of niching is probably evident there. But the other thing I would say is that because I'm building a brand new business and yes, I've got transferable skills from the old business, of course, but I've never had to put myself out there before in this deep, authentic way to connect with my ideal client on the emotional level that I know it matters. And so 
I've hit blocks and barriers and my own self-limiting beliefs. And what I've done with this mentor is, because I've been through quite a lot of trauma, Richard, and (laughs) um, 10 years on, you know, I thought I'd dealt with all of this. And I have done a ton of work. I have done a ton of work on recovery, um, you know, coming out of a a harmful marriage and a brutal divorce myself. But what I'm doing with the new mentor is we're going to a place that's not in my head, so it's not a mindset issue. I've got a fabulous mindset, right? But what we found is that my energy has been blocked in my body because the body keeps the score. When you've been through (laughs) hardships, adversity, trauma, betrayal, you name it, I've got a list as long as my arm. Um, And this has happened repeatedly over time. The body stores that pain. And it's the first time I've worked with a coach or a mentor who's actually got a fantastic awareness of this and has the tools to go deep in our bodies and release it wow i know <laughs> this is absolutely so that was a really like deep answer i know but i think like i it's hard work it's tough it's emotionally heavy but we've had a few dips so far in the process but whenever we do it she she kind of rubs her hands with glee because she says alison this is where the treasure is in you this is where it is and when you, when you are a business owner and you're doing stuff and you're trying new things and you're pivoting and you're launching a new program or you're bringing in a new product or a, a new, I don't know, a new passive income stream, yeah, and it doesn't go always according to plan, we know we, we've got a certain capacity for resilience our own yep. our own supply, if you like, of resilience, which is probably already, you know, a good supply. But what do you do when you put everything into something, like in a way that you've never done before, you go all in and it still doesn't come out how you expected? That's if the really tough done, thing, isn't it? If you've done... I mean, I did a LinkedIn post about this. Um, I'd never heard the phrase before. It was called goal trauma. Like, how many business owners have set goals and not reached them? But they pick themselves up, they go again. But there comes a time, you know, and did I say before that I was 50 recently? I'm I'm 50 now, you know. My, My energy isn't the same as when I was younger anyway. But I reached a stage recently where something didn't go the way that I thought. And I, I just, it absolutely floored me because it was the most that I'd put into anything that I'd ever done in my business. Like I was all in on it. I even said, you know, like, this is my best work. If, and then nobody signed up and it was like, wow. So if this is my best and nobody wants it, whoa, where does that leave me? And I, I reached a, I hit a block. I hit a block. Yeah. Um, but I've I've never wanted something so much before and felt that level of disappointment before 
And the old energy that I would have had before wasn't enough to get me through. Mm. And that's when we knew I had stuff in my body that was blocking. Wow. The new creative flow that was going to come as a result of the disappointment. That's absolutely fascinating. <laughs> and I can totally relate to that completely because I launched a course eight weeks ago and had literally not one sign up. So I told, I know exactly how that yeah. feels because it was like literally this is like 30 years of blood, sweat and tears put into this yeah. course and it was like, yeah, it didn't. But what, yeah. what my mentor helped me see was that as an entrepreneur, and you might be the same, Richard, there's so many other things that when that's happened to us, we think, oh, yeah, maybe we could do that now. Oh, let's do that. Oh, oh, that looks good on social media. Oh, oh, that is just the thing that I need. Maybe if I join a different mastermind, maybe if I change this, maybe if I do that. And we get busy and it's actually a trick, if you like, of our bodies to keep us going for something new and not really staying with the full, you know, feelings of absolute, what's the feeling what's the feeling like it's staying bad. with the feeling long enough to go this is going to happen when i go there this may happen when i try that other thing this is likely to happen again if i have joined that that different course but to stay with the the disappointment and the the devastation really long enough will create a new version of you that wouldn't have otherwise existed because you were off here, there and everywhere doing everything from scratch again. Because I, I like starting things. <laughs> I like starting things. I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. But she was like, no, we're not going to do that, Alison. Like she's really had to pull the reins on me because um, I was ready with a million and one ideas as to what I could do now that mm. this potential launch didn't happen the first time as I thought it would she was like no we're staying you know because we've said this is your ideal client we've said that this is the work that you want to do wow that must have been quite I, I think firstly it's amazing that you found this coach because it sounds like exactly the kind of person that you need because yeah having sort of seen and sort of got to know you over the course of a period is <laughs> that is absolutely you like you are like it would take a force to be reckoned with, I think, is probably the best way I could describe it. You know, I regularly comment and call your husband out because I think he's absolutely an amazing guy. And, you know, to your energy is off the scale. So for her to be able to pull that back and go, no, this is what you need to do, I think it sounds like you've absolutely found the right person. Isn't it interesting, that the perception, though, Richard, that you would say that about me? Because... I probably have more days in a week than not where I don't have the energy, where I I, I don't show up. I am mm. inconsistent on social media. I am a human being. I've had a lot on my plate. I've had a lot to process and deal with, particularly in the last 10 years. Um, and I've had to learn a new level of compassion for myself. Mm. You know? Self-compassion is crucial. And if I show up, Okay, it may be irregularly compared to some people, but I know when I do show up, I am all in. Mm. 
And I like that. I like I, I like that about myself. I'm not going to push myself to do something that feels inauthentic. Mm. But you know, I know when, like, if I see a post from you, I know that absolutely it's from the heart. Mm. It's probably going to be long form copy, <laughs> which which I really enjoy because I I get a lot of value from reading the stuff you do and and from your videos and stuff. And you made a really important point there, and I don't necessarily. I don't know if you even meant to, but it's not about what someone else is doing. You're mm. doing what works for you. And, you know, I mean, it is quite an overused phrase, but comparison is absolutely the thief of joy because, and mm. I'm just as bad. I'm like today, I was like, Shit, I haven't posted that. I've got to do it. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Just leave it. Something will happen later. Just, just leave it. And there's a lot to well, be said for that because so yeah. many people are kind of like, you see them every day and they're banging out something. And, and it's like, seriously, this is about as transparent as a sheet of glass in the shop window. It's just content for the sake of content. It's like you're not even here. Like I've commented, you're not even answering the comments. Or if you are, there's no depth to the to yeah. actually what what the question I've asked you. Because I will always try, and, if I'm going to comment on someone's post, I'll always try and answer a, ask a question. Mm. so that I can support because if, if I'm going to engage with it I want to support that person not just sure. engage with the post so I will always try and frame what I want to say with a question to build a conversation and the amount of times that I do it and there's just nothing coming back and I just think well how much depth was there to what you actually thought or was it literally just you've just posted something for the sake of it and I've mm -hmm. never seen that with you there is always a depth to what you want to talk about and it you know it's always heartfelt it's always absolutely mm. authentic, but it's all, it's, you know, it's always relatable. And even some of the stuff you talk about when you talk about divorce and stuff from a woman's perspective, I still find it relatable as a man. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe because it's a heart level type of conversation. Yeah, no, it's not a gender-led um, conversation. It is a yeah, very much a heart-led conversation, I think. True, true. I mean, hurt is hurt. Yeah, of course. Isn't it? Uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to say there, Richard. I mean, I think there's a definite knack to knowing your lane and staying focused to that lane, especially if social media is important to your marketing. Um, I think we were in a room once when I said about the phrase JOMO. Yes. You know, yes. Everyone's got FOMO, and that causes us to get distracted and come, mm. come out of our lane. Um, but Jomo, the joy of missing out when you're just doing your own stuff and you're focused on it, you don't mind missing out. You you don't mind not going mm. to that do. You know you don't mind miss, missing that mastermind that mm. week because actually, what's really what really matters is you've got your stuff to do this week. So that's that's that. The other thing I wanted to say is that I saw a post one, and this is about the comparisonitis thing you were talking about where. Somebody um, slated people who um, replied to every comment that people made on posts. They kind of said, oh, who's got time for that? Really? Come on. Uh, none of us have got time for that. Um, they're probably a bit sad. You know, it was quite a derogatory, mm -hmm. yeah. judgmental post. I don't like those kinds of things, but. I just um, <laughs> I read that and I thought, well, actually, that's probably my one of my USPs because I value every comment 
that so are my content. I see it as an absolute joy and privilege to reply to everybody that's, if you think they've bothered to actually relate to your post and so much so to actually put a comment on, I think the least I can do is actually comment back, even if it's a thank you. Mm. I just think it's just, I, I love the, com you know, why do I do it? It's called social media for a reason. It's because I'm quite a social person and I want to talk about the subject that I posted about. If I didn't, yeah. I wouldn't have written. So if somebody takes the time out of their day to actually mm. to leave a comment, mm -hmm. I th one, it's what I want them to do because I want to have conversations about it. But I think at a higher level, it's also courteous. Yeah, yeah. To take the time to say, do you know what? Thanks for stopping. You know, if somebody knocked your door and said, how are you? How's things going? I saw, saw something happen today. You, mm. You'd reply to them with a comment. You wouldn't just slam mm. the door in their face without saying, well, not answering them. Yeah, yeah. And so many people just have this negative attitude towards people. And I'm the same. I've been called out for it before. People say, well, how do you put, you must have a team of VAs to comment on all your content and you're omnipresent on all these platforms. I, I'm so not. And no, I don't have a team. It's just me. But I make time. If I'm going to post, I'll make sure that I'm there to answer the comments for a while. Just yeah. so that people feel valued for taking time to stop by and answer stuff so it's, yeah it's one of those divisive mm -hmm. subjects i think isn't it you'll never like anything you'll never please all of the people and everyone's got an answer and everyone's got an opinion largely on stuff they're not even qualified to have an opinion on mm. i mean I, I one of my values is um being reciprocal with people so you know i, I found myself commenting on bigger statuses on social media and then I thought okay when you when you don't get anything back it's not aligned with me so why am I why am I helping somebody else's reach hmm. clearly that you know maybe it was a provocative post that I just you People know don't do that, do they? um clickbait and I'm so over all of that it's just like why it really you got time for that um but yeah it's it's an interesting world social media but i find um and this might be a tip that when social media does my head in like when i get ratty with it it's often because i've not actually created something myself and i'm stuck for in instead of being a, a co-creator and a consumer I've fallen, the, the swing has gone into more yep. consumer. I'm absorbing everybody else's stuff. And it's actually potentially a, um, a numbing technique for not putting my own stuff out there. But I find that I'm much healthier with my relationship with socials if I've also created some content. Okay. That's quite interesting. I'm sure people would, would align with that, certainly. Because I think our relationship with it does change, definitely. And yeah. I mean, I went for a stage, I think it was last year, I would relentlessly post like two or three times a day because a coach that I was working with was like, no, 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 you've got to do this, you've got to. And I felt like it just did not align with me at all. And and I stopped doing it and I instantly felt better mm. about my relationship with social media because I was doing what felt natural to me. And I think what feels natural to each of us individually will always be different. There'll be some commonalities, but but it has to be what feels comfortable with us because, you know, at the end of the day, it's got to be authentic and we've got to be authentically us. And 
you know, we, you know, I mean, my my big strap line is courageously imperfect because I am the the most erratic person. I'm more erratic on social media mm. than a drunk driver at 100 miles an hour. I'll, mm. I'll post every day for a week and then not post again for two weeks. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a nightmare. I just, I'm the same. I think know? the longer it goes on, the more comfortable I am with that, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had advice in the past to, you know, set a schedule up for the month, and but I don't know what it is. I just don't like scheduled posts. No, I don't. I, I don't know. I've never really taken to them. I, I can see why they would benefit, you know, a, an impression of being consistent but I don't know if I want to create an impression that's I don't know like a faulty I've got a an allergic reaction to falsehoods and uh fakeness <laughs> it brings me out of so, like, I'm so anti like this all this whole fake it do you make it BS it just drives me insane and for me that's exactly what that is yeah, it's absolutely fake it till you make it. Because, I mean, it might, and, it might schedule post might work for other people, but I just know they don't work mm. for me. They feel inauthentic to me. Yeah, and I think you know, listen, if somebody can tell me that standing on a chair telling people to run to the back of the room and buy a course they don't even know what they're buying can can live that with their own values, I think there's not much people can't explain away if they feel so inclined. Yeah, but I think for a lot of people. Having scheduled content is so, is a way of managing their time, but they're not really, you know, they're doing it solely to drive traffic as opposed to just have conversations with people. And I think for mm. me, it's, you know, don't get me wrong, I want to be on social media to find clients, but I also want to be on social media to talk about subjects that I find interesting. Mm. Yeah. And I want to learn and, and learn stuff about top, topics I don't know about. Yeah. And explore and, the things. A big part of it for me, Richard, you mentioned the social aspects of social media is I actually like encouraging other people. I actually mm. like cheering other people on and clapping and celebrating yep. with them when they're posting something that's going well or actually, you know, the other side of the coin when they're having a, a struggle or you think you could help them in some way mm. or at least empathise with them. That's, that's massively valuable on social media. But I don't think there's enough of that sort of stuff because I think mm. people are showing up for the wrong reason. and. And I think that's that's irrespective of what platform it is. You know, that's it doesn't matter whether it's Facebook or, or TikTok or Instagram or LinkedIn. People, mm-hmm. it seems to be more and more just about ramming sales down people's throats as yeah. opposed or just absolutely slagging people off. It's yeah, there doesn't seem to be the ability to actually have a healthy debate, not necessarily reach agreement. But mm. have respect for the other person's point of view and say, Do you know mm. what? I respect your point of view. I don't agree, but but let's actually just call it yeah. a day because all sorts of people seem to start throwing grenades in from the side. And then the next <laughs> thing is sort of, you know, it's a road to nowhere, isn't it? It's yeah, absolutely. Um, we, as a nation, we just we don't disagree well. No. We don't disagree well. You know, conflict in so many cases is unnecessary because. You know, written texts and short comments can be misunderstood, misconstrued. There's so many perspectives to see it from. You can say the same sentence to two different people and they'll read two different things into it. So it's a it's a road to nowhere. It's a rabbit hole. And, you know, there's another skill there in in actually, <laughs> you know, not. So it's an addictive thing, isn't it? Because you're like, you know, if you see a pose and it's got like, a thousand yep. comments you're like oh this is kicking off it's that human nature in us but 
when you come to your senses, you realise, gosh, I've just wasted 20 minutes on a post that really has nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with my line of work. Yep. Um, why have I got so distracted by it? You know, stop this <laughs> and pull it back. So, um, yeah. I think we do as human beings, though, and I think you're right. It is human nature. There was, I, would, I mean, I don't really watch a lot of TV, but I was in the lounge the other night with my wife and there was a documentary on about the guy that was um, the ex-military guy that was the one trying to get the pets out of Afghanistan. Oh, that yeah. Went, that went to war with Ben Wallace on Twitter about pets over people and stuff. And, yeah. and even he said, in, and he was quite honest about like what happened. He said, look, he said, I just got sucked into something. And I look back now and my behaviour was pretty appalling. I'm, I'm not proud of what I did. But that's absolute proof that people do just get absolutely pulled into stuff. Mm. because they just get so blinkered on what yeah. they're actually what they're quite yeah. often arguing about or the position they're trying to defend and it's kind yeah. of you know I mean Brené Brown talks about it in politics about there is no kind of there's no discussion anymore it's I'm no. right you're wrong that's it there's not a, yeah. a, a, a willingness to accept somebody else has an alternative point of view and you know, I mean, we started talking about divorce at the start of this. And I know it's hugely important in the work you do. It's something that we massively have in common. Um, not that we were married for, for the listeners, but we've both been through <laughs> different divorces. Um, but that, you know, that's, at the, the, you know, the amount of conflict that, that quite often can be unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that family lawyers, you know have kind of ethics when it comes to this but my experience was that unfortunately I spent an awful lot of money on legal backwards and forwards type letters that a made not one jot of difference in the end um and b I felt were antagonistically written mm -hmm. to actually create more hostility yeah, absolutely. Um, because obviously, the more letters that are written, the more the earnings are, are getting clocked up. Now, I know I, that is a sweeping statement. I'm sure there are family lawyers, um, you know, out there who want to do a good job and actually care about the emotional well-being of their clients. Um, I, I'd love to partner with any family lawyers like that who want to focus on the legal side of the process for their client, but maybe have a client who is in extreme emotional difficulty and feels that they want to help them in an ethical way. Um, they could certainly point them in my direction for sure. Because um, that's not my ex, that wasn't what happened with me. I, I was running up a bill. I mean, in the end, I felt like I had to manage my own lawyer like yeah. he was the one saying, let's write a letter. And I was going, whoa, hang on, but you know, 28 grand in. Is this actually going to do anything here? Mm. Or are we better off just letting this go? And when you've got that kind of client relationship going on where the roles are kind of reversed, there's something very dysfunctional and, you know, potentially sinister going on with yeah, that's not healthy. manipulation. Um, so yeah, that was an unfortunate added experience that I had that created another layer of, you know, torment really. So yeah, it's definitely not help, not a helpful situation, is it? I mean, I, I got divorced, and 
I remember, I can't think my legal bill was about 15, 20k. My my yeah. ex-wife's was was probably a similar level. Mm. Um we we actually ended up having to get three different judges. Really? Yeah, we had to get the judge changed because we um How come? Because we we reached a compromise agreement, which was a clean break, and at the time, yeah. clean clean breaks were not done in the UK, um, wow. particularly where there's children involved. So so it was all out. It was all it was mutually agreed. It was pretty. I would I say it's hard for it. It felt like it was hard for. I'm sure in the grand scheme of things, you know, I'm sure there's people that have had worse experiences, um, but it was certainly pretty tough um, for lots of reasons, but. The judge would not approve the fact that we were getting a, we were having a clean break in our finances and everything else. So refused to sign our divorce. Up. I mean, that just doesn't sound right. Yeah, literally. <laughs> if the clients have agreed and nobody's under duress, you know, there's no yeah, abuse of any kind going on. Yeah. If they've said like this is this is what we're happy with, you know, because it's a long road to get to even um, that. Yeah, one. it was. I think it was probably two and a half three years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not a not a five. That, that's the thing. average, but I think with divorcing, um, certainly if you're divorcing for the first time, you you don't know what you don't know. You, yeah, there's absolutely. a lot of trust involved with your legal team, mm. if you like. If it's beyond just a, you know, a family lawyer, if you need to start getting barristers and uh, other people yep. involved in the process, that's when the costs start to ramp up. But yeah. Um, that's that's uh surprised me richard yeah. it really yeah, it was, has it was really hard it was not fun mm-hmm. at all and i mean my brother's going for a divorce now which i won't talk about because obviously this is going to be public mm-hmm. so anybody can yeah. consume it but but that i mean that's that's like a whole different level and it, i think it's one thing to to go through divorce yourself i think it's quite another to to witness somebody that you care and love about go through it and be like almost helpless to to stop that person going through that pain and that heartache, mm. whether that's whether that's a child. I mean, I've not experienced a child, and I hope I never have to experience a child go through a divorce. But just to see my brother going through it mm. and know and be helpless to help him, that is that's a whole different level. So as a parent, I would imagine that must and I hate the phrase ten x, but it must almost be 10 times harder to see your child go through that and not be able to. And, the, you know, the yeah. courts don't don't seem to really sort of don't help. I mean, the family courts have clogged up with divorces that realistically should have been sorted out in mediation. And well, it was already a lengthy process before we had the pandemic that created mm. backlog. So it's added torment on top of, you know, an extremely painful, long, protracted legal process. Um but, like, I agree. I mean, in my case, my mum and dad have been happily married for 40-odd years, you know, so they haven't been through the mm. divorce that I was going through. And yep. I can only imagine that they felt completely helpless. And, of course, they were my, like, number one support. But I think there is value in speaking to someone and having someone in your corner who's been through the process, knows what's coming next, can equip you with strategy, can actually listen and hear you and validate your lived experience of this horrible thing because often there's heartbreak involved yeah absolutely Uh, it's not just the brutality of the divorce process itself and uh, the enormous amount of paperwork and um you know the fear of the unknown and all of that it's it's 
the actual grief of a loss of a of a, a lifelong commitment that you made however many years um earlier um I mean I, I had a wacky idea once that you know when everybody gets married and they you know, all the guests are there and you say, like, you know, um, I do solemnly declare, you know, I I had this wacky idea once that if you were to go through a divorce, obviously this is not if you have, like, if there's a, an abusive situation going on. In the event where, say, you've just drifted apart, let's say one of those types of divorces, yeah. you've just drifted apart, you're not getting your needs met anymore, Um Maybe one person's met somebody else. And so, you know, that's it. I think you should. <laughs> this is going to sound really like crude now, but I actually imagined um, like a, a process where you had to gather, gather the same friends and family in the church or where, the registry office or whatever and say, I do solemnly declare that I no longer want to be married to this person. And you had to list the reasons why. And then you had to be open to the opportunity to all of your friends and family who were there in the beginning, for them to impart their advice to you and give you all the tips and tools that they've had, that they've experienced, mm-hmm. you know, especially if they've got a successful, happy marriage. Um, and you shouldn't be allowed to go any further until you've exhausted those well, I just wondered what kind of society, and it sounds a bit like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, taking choices away. I'm not. I just, you know, because I'm married again now. That's when I became Mrs. Angel. Um, I, I just care about family structure in society, um, and yeah, people can be happy again after divorce, but I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what gets us to the point of divorce. And for a, from a woman's perspective, you know, it's not that a lot of men set out to intentionally hurt their wives. They just, some of them don't have the emotional capacity to connect with us and hold us when we need, like, holding when we're just hurt by something. You know, like, my husband does it now. He won't, he won't mind me telling you, but, you know, he, he, he insists on telling me, like, don't cry, like, he doesn't do it on purpose because he, he doesn't want to see me cry. But I've said to him, you know, just just say, you know, clearly this is really bothering you, Alison. This is, do you need a hug? You know, that's all I need. I don't need, don't cry. Why are you crying? Here we go again. Why are you overthinking this? Because unfortunately that's just like, because men like to problem solve that, you know, that it, it, it kind of comes out like that, but women often find like it, it's month, days months and years of like tiny paper cuts like that where they've needed the partner to just hear them validate mm-hmm. them like the pressure's off guys you if you can master this one thing this is a message to all the fellas out there <laughs> if you could just master this one thing for your wife in particular it's if she's upset or hurt or angry or showing any emotion whatsoever don't try and fix it don't try and dismiss it don't try and say that she's wrong to feel like this just just give her a hug just say i can see this is really upsetting for you love you know what what do you need off me right now do you need me to just listen because i'm here for you honestly i'm sure that would save one in two divorces 
I'm sure it would. Just that simple act of, I guess, learning how to empathize in an emotionally deep, intimate way. Yeah, right at the time when it's needed most as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I felt yeah. that right, right there. So that's, <laughs> that's my top tip, Richard. <laughs> that, well, that, that is definitely that is, that is some top tip, and you know, I think to take that to a higher level, that's it is quite often. It's it's like the question, you know, the best work we do on ourselves as humans is sometimes the mm -hmm. simplest questions, and that actually is probably you know what you've just described literally costs nothing, takes no time at all, and yet can probably have some of the most deepest, far-reaching consequences of pretty much anything that most of us blokes have got in our locker that we could actually say. Yeah. Yeah, it's a simple, quick fix. It really mm. is. And then if you do that consistently, you know, like, that's when a woman feels she can trust you and she feels safe. And that then it's like you're a team together. Mm. Like, cause, And then she'll be there for you when you need it as well. Because we're, we're naturally better at that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, there's lots of missed opportunities, I think, in marriages. Because, you know, especially when we're busy. And we've come that's the, I think that's the biggest problem. And we've got the telly on or the kids are either in for something. And just to take that time out, as because nobody knows when our emotions are going to pop out, do they? <laughs> we don't always have a meeting at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday and then talk about this stuff. Mm. Sometimes, you know, outbursts happen or there's upset or tears, whatever. And um, it's just taking that moment of being present with each other. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> that sounds absolutely fascinating. <laughs> the one thing that you talked about was, was like loss through divorce, which I find quite interesting because mm. my... So when I got divorced, my parents stayed in touch with my ex-wife and they still see her now, like every week and have done for the last like 16 years. And I'd like to get your take on this because, so for me, I feel like I grieved for my parents at that time because my relationship with them has never ever been the same. And every time I have a conversation and, and that situation gets brought up, it's like I go through that whole grief process again. And I think... The one thing that you talked about when you were talking a moment ago is about the sense of loss for something that you had for that failed marriage. But I think that can sometimes go to like a different dimension because it, it doesn't, you know, divorce doesn't just affect the people that are getting divorced. It affects their children and it affects their wider family. You know, people don't always just lose their partner or their family connections. People can lose friendship groups. And Absolutely. all of that stuff can can have a really, really detrimental effect on people. Mm. Well, you can feel betrayed all over again by yeah. someone who you perhaps thought was on your side. You know, yeah. they were your family, your parents. So why are they now seeming to side with your ex-wife? You know, this is mashed up. This is like, what? What's going on here? Um, I think it just comes back to having clear, calm, you know, assertive type conversations that express your emotion without without judging others, without saying you did this and you did that. It's like, well, there's a, there's a sort of like equation of how to do a good assertive statement when you've got something pressing that you want to say. And it's like, um, you know, 
when you did this with what's your ex-wife's name? Lee. Lee. Mm. So, Mum, when when you invited Lee to like, I don't know, John's 50th without consulting me, I felt really upset. I felt really betrayed. Um I felt like you actually cared more about her than you did about me. And I, I felt really awkward when then she told me that she was coming and you hadn't let me know that in advance. And what I'd prefer to happen is if, is if you're thinking of inviting Lee to anything else or having a conversation with her, if you could include me first, I would feel X, Y, and Z. Right? Now, Okay, it's not finger pointing. The the feedback is about how you felt, which no one can ever take away from you. Um, it invites your mum that kind of com conversation to enter into a conversation and a dialogue that's about what you need as her son as well. And I mean, we're not always in control how someone else might respond to that. But often, <laughs> because we're upset about Lee being invited, we haven't actually figured out how to express that in a in a non-confrontational way. And so we'll have a go at our mum for doing this, and how dare you, and don't you know how this feels? And then she'll react, and then all of a sudden it's all toxic, and it's all were you, were you dysfunctional. There? <laughs> no, but I've learned the hard way, Richard, that this is what happens. And, yeah, it is massively. Um, it's so true, and I think, you yeah. know, the work that you do for the people that you work with is just phenomenal because it's, you know, you're not just sitting there talking about something you've read in a book or you've been trained to coach someone on. You've mm. actually walked the walk. You know, you thought, like, in some of those days, it's not about taking the next step. It's about putting one foot in front of the other, getting up and actually getting dressed in the morning. It's like know? a it micro is. step. Yeah, of course it is, <laughs> absolutely, and... Mm. And you can't you can't empathize with somebody unless you've actually been there. So yeah, yeah, I think that's phenomenal. So that's your next. That's what you're working on right now. Yeah. Can I just but, say something though about grandparents? Go on. Because I experienced the other side where, after my divorce, um, my kids' grandma, like on my ex's side, she just didn't bother with them anymore. Yeah, we've got for whatever reason. Um, but I, I think that is sad because the, it's the kids. It, it's nothing it's to do really with me anymore. The kids, the kids had a grandma who they mm. used to like seeing, and it's sad when it's too difficult for that grandparent to then remember that the kids matter and not tarry all with the same brush in the same it's the same reason why dads disappear mm. off the scene following you know it's just really sad because actually it's the children's right to mm. have both parents in their life and both sets of grandparents and more when obviously we get into things like blended families so <laughs> yeah that's uh, great for, we could have a whole series of podcasts just on that subject because that's yeah that's a massive Ad adult, topic. adult adulting adult behavior particularly when emotions are running high it's probably the biggest one of the biggest challenges in society i'd say yeah i think i think and it's also i think one of the biggest problems because you know 
there are people that are, uh, seem to be get, becoming younger and younger and are becoming parents and they've never actually been an adult themselves and yet they're expected to become a parent and yeah they don't have any you know there yeah. is no book for any of this is there you know yeah. you work and we it do out, but... we do model our own upbringing we do model that because that's what we've learned how to be in the world and that's why marriage is a real opportunity when you get it right because both partners have had probably a very different upbringing very different family values and one isn't right and one isn't wrong it's just that they're different and that's why we have to get better at if you see marriage as a team it's like well your family you know never talked about money for example but my family did like Mm. every week there was something on the family table about Mm. money and whatever so I can see now why you don't necessarily want to talk about money in front of the kids, but my norm was that it was spoken about in front of the kids. So then when you see it from both perspectives, you realize why you've got conflict over that. And, and hopefully, you know, you should be able to work through that and appreciate each other's differences. Yeah. Do you know, I think it sounds so very simple in theory, doesn't it? I know. Yeah. All this stuff, <laughs> all this stuff sounds simple in theory, but the practice is, I think somewhat different. So, so that's what you're working on right now. You wouldn't be you, I don't think, if you didn't also have one eye in the future. So what mm-hmm. else have you got that you're thinking about doing? Uh, do you really want to know? Oh, yeah, of course I do. I don't know if I'm ready to share in such a public way. Well, if you're not, then don't. You can message me later on. But you can't leave me hanging now because I'm absolutely intrigued. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give you a clue. Right. I won't say exactly the download that I believe I've had from on high. Right. But let's just say it involves Hollywood. <laughs> that is like the mic drop of the moment of the series. Wow. It is. No, because nobody's actually pressed me on that before. Um it's um a bit of a secret between me and the big man upstairs at the moment. And um, I just have to just keep doing the work that's involved in taking the next step forward. But yeah, wow. one day, hopefully. You are definitely Maybe somebody this podcast that will be, will be like, this is going to be day one. This is like, <laughs> wow. So Jomo, I'll never forget hearing that because I, I managed to spray coffee all over the all over the inside when I heard it because I was like, wow, that is there is just like there is no bigger truth. That for me was the day that stopped Clubhouse because it was like that is just absolutely so true because so many people get so caught up in actually what other people are doing, mm. and because of the work I've done, I have a thing in my head about like different lanes. So for me, my lanes are lane one is me, lane two is my marriage. Lane three is my relationship with the, with each of the children. So they're all like 3.1, 3.2, 3.3. And then each and every other business is like four and onwards. And I find it really hard sometimes to have my lane going at a different... And it's kind of... It looks a bit like a Hong Kong motorway in my life because that's how, <laughs> in my head, I look at it. But all of the lanes are going at different speeds and it's about trying to sort of temper the speeds in some of those lanes. And, you know, you can't help but look across at that lane and then... You do, you know, we all, I think, 
I've never met somebody that is there's no evidence that they've not looked at someone else's life and thought, wow, they've got it all together. Whether it's for a comment or something that's something you see in their behaviour, what would your top tip be for bringing Jomo into your life and living a Jomo lifestyle? Um, so I think be inspired by other people's lanes, but like you sound like you've got your own motorway going on, Richard. Right. So you've got lanes one to five going on in the motorway of Richard Mm -hmm. Stone. Right. And it's all very well for you to just go and have a look at the what's the motorway system called in Germany? Oh, the autobahn. Autobahn. Yeah. So you could go and look at the autobahn and think, yeah, that's pretty inspirational. But don't then move to Germany. Right. And go on their lanes when you've got your own motorway to build. And so the the fundamental of Jomo to me is knowing your purpose. And that's why it's so critical that you you have that bigger purpose. And I think what keeps me from getting distracted or being able to say no to things is not just having a purpose that you yourself can do in your own strength, but having a bigger purpose, feeding into a bigger legacy movement or you know an enterprise or something that's going to last beyond your years yeah when you've got big stuff to do in the world it actually becomes easier not to get pulled into like small fry stuff i think there's a lot to be said for that i mean i do remember i had a conversation i used to have this really really wise say like construction sage like he was this construction god and he sat behind like all the front men, but he was the one that was the brains behind several big global construction businesses. And he said to me one day, he said, the thing you've got to remember is never sweat the small stuff. And the more important thing to remember is all of this business stuff is just small stuff. Don't sweat this stuff. Work out what you want to do, what your actual purpose is, and who are the people that are important to you and focus on that stuff. Mm. yeah while staying connected with those that matter and those that you have an affinity with because we are here to do life together as well we're hard we're hardwired for it aren't we you know we're hardwired for connection unity connection yeah cool so if you had to choose the style or the divorce stuff do you think you could make a choice between one or the other? Or do you think they are so intrinsically linked? Um, hmm. I like the blend. I like the blend, yeah. I couldn't just be a stylist and I couldn't be a divorce coach. I've got to have blend hmm. going on because... I think this is a lesson for personal branders as well. Like when you're running your own business and you're like the face of the brand, um, you are your own product. Absolutely. It's not about you fitting into a category or a box or an industry. It's about you embodying what it is you stand for. And, And I guess I stand for knowing your identity, knowing why you're here, um living life you know to the full whatever that looks like for you and um 
trying to find the joy in in every day. Like this, this conversation has just been awesome, Richard. I've so enjoyed it. Good. Just like you and me, one on one. I know. No distractions from Clubhouse. <laughs> I know. Do you know what? I'd love to do it regularly because I absolutely I'd get so much value out of talking to you. I think you you are just you know you are literally mm. like a beacon of joy for people that that you work with and. And I, I would imagine also for the lady, I, I think it is a lady. Did I pick up that your new coach is a lady? Yeah. And she must, she must get tremendous value from working with you. Um, but yeah. to take you back to the start of the conversation, you talked about a book that you'd read, mm-hmm. which obviously had quite a big impact, but I didn't catch the name of it. So I don't think anybody which one? listening back. I can't remember. I might have to listen I've, back to it. I have read, I, I read about four books a month. I know you're as bad as me. And I sometimes you... have more than one on the go at the same time. A few, I'm glad um, it's not just me. I also quite like pre-love books. I, I pre-love quite books like are brilliant. Going on Amazon and not ordering a brand new one. I like. Yeah. I like. I don't know because I, I, I like sort of. Uh, well, you know, I like pre-love clothes anyway. But I like anything to do with antiques mm. or. Um, salvage yards or you know stuff that people have kind of discarded really is not wanted anymore um I like to bring it back in and I've never had a bad experience yet with a pre-love book um yeah because if I was to donate a book (laughs) it wouldn't bode well because I've got underlines and asterisks and highlights going on all through it from like revelation points that I've come across. So, but how many colours of pen? Because the one thing that I always remember is you and your multicoloured pens. <laughs> there they are. Look, they're never far away. <laughs> they, those, and those are just the the general marker pens. I have I have an equally colourful range of highlighter pens, and equally. Um, books as well. I just I love these for just like project management of ideas that I have I just like to get I don't like ruled ruled lines I like free space free flow free flow yeah. blank pages yeah. <laughs> brilliant so if you had to recommend to the listeners your top book that you've read so far this year what do you think it would be top book this year you are the mountain by Brianna Beist, I think it's how you say it, it begins with W, so W-E-I-S-T. You are the mountain. Everyone talks about overcoming and, you know, slaying mountains, obstacles that get in your way. But this book is a really good, deep, reflective soul work type of book that's actually, you are, you are your own obstacle. Wow. Okay. So it's a book about self sabotage, but it's it's a really wonderfully written. I mean, she's massive on social media. She's a great author, fantastic with words. Yeah, that's been a. So that's your book of the year. Yeah. What well, no, your... no, that's probably my book of the month. Book. Of... Yeah. Oh, okay. Book of the yeah. month. What, what's yeah. your all-time favorite personal development book that you've read? Um. Oh, yes, I know which one it is. It's I just wanted to reach it, but I don't know where it is. It's a tiny book about that big, right? And, oh, God, I can't remember the title now, but it's by a, a guy called Derek Sivers. Okay. Derek Sivers. And it's something about being an entrepreneur. Oh, let me find it. Let me find it. 
This guy is an absolute class example of doing your own thing. He has one of those Instagram accounts that's got a number of millions of viewers with no content on it that just says, hey, Derek here. This is his Instagram bio. Words oh. to this effect. Derek here. Um, I don't really post on this platform, but if you want to see what I'm doing, www.dericsivers.org or whatever it is. And well, all traffic comes to his website that he he writes all the programming for. Right, okay. Yeah. He, what a cl a clever idea. Yeah. <laughs> so how to leverage social media without actually getting without pulled doing into anything. that track. Yeah. He must be doing something to get the people to look at his profile in the first place, I would guess. Yeah. Um, Derek Sivers. Here we go. Books. Um, I don't think that was the book that I read. He's got an, he's got a couple of books out. It might have been this. Anything you want. Forty lessons for a new kind of entrepreneur. Oh, now that sounds like we're supposed to read. It's a as I say, it's a really small book. It's only got a few pages in. He has got an art form in terms of condensing, say, a hundred words into fifteen. That's how he's created such a small book, by the way. So every word is punchy and powerful and has meaning for being right. there. But these lessons, every page is like, wow, wow. Oh my God, wow. Um, if you want to do something different in the, you know, like he's obviously this embodiment of doing it differently, his way, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. That's why I love him, because uh I connect with that individuality. I can well imagine you do. I've got you intrigued now, haven't I? You're going to be yeah, ordering I'm, that. I am definitely going to be ordering that <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. Listen, it's been an absolute privilege and an honour to spend this time in your company. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Any what any advice that you would have given to a 20-year-old Alison Angel? <sighs> what I wanted to say, I actually don't want to say, because if I hadn't have been who I was at 20, I wouldn't be who I am at 50. I completely like, concur every, with every that. lesson in life, every hurt, every pain, every scenario, every breakdown, every high, every joyous moment, they've all meant something. They're all equally valuable. So I'm just happy for who I was at 20 because it's made me who I am today. Absolutely. <laughs> So before you before you run off, how do how does anybody that's listening find you? What's the, what's your preferred method of contact? I mean, I can put your details in the show notes, which I will. Mm -hmm. But where do where do, where would you like people to come and connect with you? Um, a lot of my creative content I'd say is on Instagram. Um, and my Instagram is Alison.angel and it's Alison with two L's. And be careful because there is another Alison Angel in the world, um, an American blonde-haired sex worker. So be careful you don't click on the wrong Alison Angel. Otherwise, um, you will need a divorce coach. Yeah. <laughs> 
So if you want to see like some of my reels and videos and stuff like that, then Instagram would be the place to connect with me. Um, but I also quite like LinkedIn at the moment. So I'm putting some good stuff on there too as well. So your yeah. reels are awesome with you like styling different clothes and I've learned stuff about different colours that go together from it. So uh, yeah. Well, you, really you cool. like blue, don't you? Blue is absolutely my go-to yeah. colour. Yeah, it's my power yeah. colour. Do you know why yeah. you like blue? I've no idea. Oh, you should look at the psychology of colour. Because blue, just... blue is about like trust and um, consideration and responsibility. And I know a lot of the stuff you do within the construction industry mm. is about that. And so there's an absolute message there in terms of, you know, you wear what you're aligned to. I mean, I've got blue on today, haven't I? But yeah. um, it's also why a lot of the medical world, like, you know, NHS and um, financial services, that often they have a blue logo. Um, but it's a real thing, the psychology of colour. Um, so if you want to convey that kind of impression, you can also wear blue to to project that as a as an expression. Absolutely, just giving me carte blanche to wear my favourite car. I would my whole wardrobe. If it wasn't for the fact Gemma buys me loads of clothes, my whole wardrobe would be blue. Yeah, because I love it. It's my favourite colour. I feel strong in it. I feel secure in it. I feel mm -hmm. safe in it. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely my yeah. my go to colour. So yeah, brilliant. It's been a pleasure talking to you i wish we had mm -hmm. more time but i'm conscious can that i just you're say as well richard person. before we go that i want to thank you for the work that you do in terms of being an open book particularly when it comes to mental health i think you're a real advocate in this space for men um i, I just think you've got an absolute heart of gold and you're just a gem of a guy you're a real encourager and supporter. And I personally have benefited from even just simple comments you've put on my social media um, just to know that, I don't know, somebody's been listening. So thank you. And keep doing well, the work that you're doing. It's awesome. And say you. hello to your wonderful wife. I will. <laughs> right. Thank you. I look forward to speaking to you soon. You're welcome. See you on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to the On The Block podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. To find out more about the work that Richard does, please visit his website, www.stonecontracts.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy his show. Thanks for listening and see you soon on The Block.